and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're still here a hundred episodes later. Number 100. <laughs> I cannot believe we're already at 100. And we've been going for less than two years. <laughs> it's gone, I know, yeah. It's gone so fast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's insane. It just feels like yesterday. But it has been worth every single episode. It's been a lot of fun and... You guys listening, you make it all worthwhile. Aww. <laughs> What's happened for you to say something nice, you harsh bastard? <laughs> Thank you for listening. Is that it? Well, <laughs> what do you want from me? We really appreciate it. We appreciate you taking uh, an hour to an hour and a half out of your day to listen to us talk shit about films. It really does mean a lot. But to, uh, to give you something special for our 100th episode and to continue with Women in Horror Month... We are talking about the queen of horror. Yeah, I think this epitomises everything that the podcast is about. Yeah. Horror, um, LGBT, fun campness, um, celebrating women. Two cult films. we do. Yeah. Yeah. Cult films. Um... Yeah, this trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, she started off discussing trash films, very much like what we do to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I don't know what she'd think of Anderson Falls, um, but <laughs> we're, we haven't said it yet, have we? We were of course talking about Elvira. Yes, we're talking uh, about the life and films of Elvira. So just to get us started, give you a little bit about Elvira. Uh, Avara is, of course, a character created by Cassandra Peterson, uh, who grew up in Colorado Springs. Uh, she began her career at age 17 as the youngest showgirl in Las Vegas history in the show Viva La Girls at the Dunes, Dunes Hotel. After receiving advice from the king himself, Elvis Presley, she travelled to Europe where she pursued a career as a singer and an actor. Uh, she worked in several Italian films, including Roma, and performed throughout Europe as lead singer of an Italian rock band. Um, Roma, obviously, being the 1972 film, not the Netflix film from a few years ago. Yeah, Fellini's Roma. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite a big deal. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool, actually. Yeah. And the lead singer of an Italian rock band, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, upon returning to the United States, she toured the country as a star of her own musical comedy show, Mama's Boys. Uh, she eventually settled in Hollywood, where she spent four and a half years of LA's foremost improvisational, uh, improvisational, should I say, comedy group, The Groundlings. And in 1981, she auditioned for the role of horror hostess on a local LA TV show, uh, which was Movie, Movie Macabre, and her newly created character, Alvira, uh, who became an overnight sensation. And she's used our virus celebrity status to bring attention to many worthy courses and organisations over the years, including her well-known work for animal welfare and raising money and awareness for the prevention of HIV and AIDS. Because she is just a really great fucking person. Yeah, yeah. And that really comes across it in does. her interviews. It does. And, you know, and this is especially when it's Cassandra and Peterson outside of our virus, you can tell she's just a really down-to-earth person who just has loads of good morals. Yeah, yeah, she's she's like the horror equivalent of Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. Big tits, uh, but also you can just tell that they're a really genuinely nice person. Yeah. Uh, underneath, because they both, and, and I think Dolly Parton as well, they both sort of have an image and they have a character. Yeah. But you can tell underneath that... 
is still a genuinely nice person. Yeah, and both have done so much for the LGBTQI plus community. Absolutely. Um, you know, Alvira in particular, Sandra Peterson, grew up uh, working around uh, gay dancers, gay actors, drag queens, and sort of became part of that. I mean, Alvira is drag. Yeah, absolutely. Alvira absolutely. is drag, and she is an absolute gay icon. Yeah. Yeah, Alvira, Alvira is... Cassandra Peterson's drag character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in addition to co-writing and performing in both the local LA and national syndicated television versions of Movie Macabre, she co-wrote, produced, and starred in two feature films, which we'll be discussing today, Alvira Mishes of the Dark and Alvira's Haunted Hills. Her latest endeavours include producing, writing, and starring in the reality series The Search for the Next Alvira on Fox Reality nice. from 2007 and the nationally syndicated series Alvira's Movie Macabre in 2010. Uh, Cassandra Peterson has spent over three decades solidifying the Avira brand and building it into an international cult icon that has become synonymous within Halloween and the horror genre. And that is the story behind Cassandra Peterson and Avira. Yeah, she's she's become a brand. And I hate to keep comparing her to people, but it's very much that RuPaul yeah. style of actually, branding. Yeah, I mean, she reminds me a lot of Michelle Visage in the way that she's very much uh, a huge LGBT ally who, you know, is in drag most of the time. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, just there to support the LGBT communities. And she reminds me of her own personality-wise as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In terms of RuPaul, I, I, what, what I gather is, is that she is... Elvira is a brand mm. and uh, we watched an interview with her where she said she was very fortunate to have that. Yeah. So when she started off, um, she didn't own the rights to the Elvira character. No. But her salary kept coming up and her contract kept coming up and they wouldn't pay her any more for movie macabre. So what she did was like, well, I want the rights to this. I want the rights to that. I want the... And before she knew it, she had complete control of the Alvira brand. Yeah. Which then took off massively. And now you get Alvira, you know, figurines. Alvira... Alvira mouse mats where the uh, hand resters are boobs. Yeah. Alvira <laughs> salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> and she, you know... For it, so she's a good business brain to make so much yeah. out of that, but she was quite fortunate that she had the rights. So she, you know, every time her face is used as the Elvira character, Cassandra Peterson gets a pretty penny in her account. Yeah, you know, and, and considering she's like the number one Halloween costume for women yeah. every year. Yeah, which, you which know, is she... absolutely incredible for a woman to own her character like that. Mm -hmm. You'll find that a lot of them don't. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. W wonderful. Wonderful business brain. Uh, some trivia about Cassandra Peterson. She was close friends with Vincent Price, and that really comes across in the films a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell she loved Vincent Price and loved his films. Uh, she's the first woman who ever did a music video in 3D. Nice. <laughs> um, her favourite movies are Plan 9 from Outer Space and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Her favourite horror film is The House on Haunted Hill. And uh, she struggles with modern horror because of blood, gore and realism. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can tell it from the films as yeah. well, Mistress of the Dark, and very much so uh, with Elvira's Haunted Hills. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Uh, she's ranked number one of sci-fi sexiest bee queens nice. by Femme Fatales magazine. Yeah. Um, Myla Nermi, the original vampire, once sued her for stealing her character without consulting her. However, Peterson claimed that Elvira was nothing like vampire aside from the basic design of the black dress and black hair. Yeah, so this this is a very American thing. We don't get it here in the UK, really. Sadly. We, we Sadly. did with... Um, for a while we did on the Horror Channel with... What is her name? Uh, Emily... Emily Booth, is it? Yeah, Emily Booth. Emily Booth. She... Yeah. I, I always remember when I was younger seeing her on the Horror Channel introducing films and she'd just be like tied up, have an apple in her mouth, and just like really these really extreme things over top introductions to horror films. So I think that was the UK's... Shot at Elvira, but it, yeah, I mean, and she's still around now. She's still around yeah, now. Yeah, I I but... used to watch a show. She used to uh, host a clips show, mm. and there was a lot of trauma on there. But I used to love that show. That'd yeah, be great. Yeah, and, and Emily Booth is great. I mean, she's just not on the same level as fa- of fame as Elvira. Should we no, say. and she, she's she's not a character like no. Elvira. No. But the, the whole introducing these movies on TV mm. was not a new thing. Alvaro wasn't the first one. No. She's probably the best one. Yeah. But she wasn't the first one. You had Vampyra, who, you know, starred in Plan 9 from Outer Space, who would do the, the shtick before and after these... Because America has so many commercial breaks during these things. Mm. Um so before and after each commercial break, they would have a little comment on the film and and such. Alvira's was very much comedy. I don't think Vampira's was. Um, no. But the whole idea is that Vampira thought Elvira was stealing her gimmick. Um, to which everyone turned around and said, well, you stole it from um, the Adams family yeah. anyway. You know, you're, you're pretty much Morticia Adams, so <laughs> mind your business. <laughs> she was uh, the stripper in the background, obviously Alvira, not um, Vampire. In the background of the cover of Tom Waits' album Small Change nice. in 1976, and she has since described it as a giant mystery, claiming that while she has no memory of the event, the cover looks enough like her that she feels pretty sure it's her. <laughs> Maybe they just stuck her in. Maybe. She did, she did modelling. She, um... Uh, yeah, she did modelling in search, and she was a showgirl, so maybe she wasn't aware that they just stuck it on there. In 1981, she auditioned for the role of Ginger Grant for the third Gilligan's Island television movie. Shortly before, KHJ TV offered her the horror host position. Uh, she was also a personality on the LA radio station, uh, K-Rock FM 106.7, from 1982 to 1983. And in 2012, she became an investor in Kamikaze Entertainment Incorporated, which hosts uh, Kamikaze Expo, one of the largest pop culture conventions of the United States. And she was also inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame as Elvira. Horror Host Hall of yeah. Fame? What's Horror Host? Again, I think America had a lot more of this than we got. <laughs> yeah, because they have all local stations, yeah. don't they? Mm-hmm. I, I find it a little confusing with the American local stations. And, and then... So they have little local shows, mm. and then they get... Um, what's the word I want? It, it's where they, they get... Um, Guests. No, they they get a different. So they go across the country. Okay. Well, I don't know what the word is. Oh sure. We it might come with. to me by the end <laughs> of the podcast. I'll I'll scream it out in a minute. Uh, 
But yeah, as as you mentioned, you know, as a brand, Alvira's got so many different things. And we we watched her Halloween special, didn't we, last year? Yes. Uh, where, which was fucking amazing. It's just her yeah, it's going around, MTV. just being Alvira, just in the public, and and what else was she doing? It was like she she was like introducing random music videos. Yes. Yeah. It was just so it was, much it random was MTV, shit And she was just going around the town. I'm assuming it was Salem. It's got to have been yeah. Salem, hasn't it? Salem, Massachusetts. Um, just chatting shit with people. Yeah. But it, it's what makes her really stand out is is that wit. Mm-hmm. And that probably comes from being part of the Groundlings um, comedy troupe. Um, where it's a lot of improvisation. Um, but she's, she's got such a quick wit. Um that it makes her perfect for these sort of things where yeah. she's just going around chatting shit to people um, because it, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, she was uh, a special guest on Drag Race. Was it once or twice? Twice. Twice, she was. So. Twice. Um, and she also had a Christmas animated film, which we watched last year's short film. She did, yeah. It was just, she's got a finger in so many pies. Yeah. Um, she's had computer games, which I, unfortunately I haven't been able to play. Um, uh, faces on pinball machines. Yeah. She's a brand. She's a brand and she makes the most of it. And, of course, amongst all that stuff, she also has two feature-length films, which we will be talking about right now, starting with Alvira, Mistress of the Dark from 1988, uh, directed by James Signorelli, who directed Easy Money, and he was an uncredited director on Police Academy 2, their first assignment. <laughs> The budget was <laughs> yeah, nice. The budget was seven point five million, and it made just under five point six million. But of yeah. course, you know it has gone on to have a cult following. Uh, for me, this was a massive uh, part of my introduction to horror and growing up with film in general, because I watched it on repeat after recording it on a horror channel so many times when I was younger. I I know the film word for word, line for line of dialogue. Um, but I watched a... Obviously, it was on the Horror Channel, and it was shown in the daytime, so it was quite a heavily edited version. Mm. Uh, so there weren't no orgy scene in there, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was just... I mean, obviously, I think my, my parents at that time would have assumed they just fancied it, but obviously we all know now that's not the case. Um, but I just really admired her. There was just something there that, you know... I just what? what you said. <laughs> you thought you fancied her. But there's, there's that, there's you a wanted sort to of, be her. Yeah, basically. I just I admired her so much. And the whole film, you know, to most people, obviously, it's just uh, Alvira going to this town to get her will and whatever. But the whole her going there and being different amongst everybody else. And it's just, it really, it was really relatable content for a gay boy in a closet at that time. Oh, massively. There's loads you can take from this film uh, as a representation of an LGBT yeah. person. I'd, I'd say, I'd say this is probably at least one of my top five favourite comedies of all time. I just can't pick a single bad thing about it. I love it. Every single second of it. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I didn't watch it until I met you. Yeah. Um, so I've only watched it within the last two years. I was always aware of Elvira mm. and I always thought she was incredibly fabulous. Um, but I just, I never got around to really watching her in anything. No. And now, you know, 
um, now I have, and I realised that I was missing out for a very long time. So getting some trivia for the film, Alvira's Macabre Mobile was created for the film. The 1958 T-Bird hardtop was purchased for $2,500 and went through $7,000 in alterations. And the automobile has remained in the possession of Cassandra Peterson, who continues to use this when she does her personal appearances as Elvira. Nice. Then unknown Brad Pitt auditioned for one of the teenage boy roles. But Cassandra Peterson thought he was too cute and felt that Elvira would not be interested in Bob if Pitt was one of the teenagers trying to get her. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) On a casting notes of his audition, she wrote next to his name, Yum Yum. Later on, Brad Pitt would go to purchase her gothic-style mansion in Los Angeles. So Brad Pitt owns Elvira's house. Nice. In uh, 1986-1987, Marvel Comics released a magazine-sized comic book adaptation of this film. Oh, I want that. I know, yeah. I was keeping an eye out for that. Uh, whilst working as a go-go dancer, 14-year-old Cassandra Peterson was taught how to tassel twirl by a stripper who was also employed at the club. As a minor, Peterson wasn't allowed to do it with pasties, so she talked her mother into creating a tasseled bra from an old bikini top, and she practiced extensively until she'd perfected it. She hadn't done it for many years, but decided to utilise its unusual talent for the Las Vegas scene and discovered doing it again was as easy as riding a bike. And aren't we all lucky that she did? Yeah. <laughs> a sign of the times, though. I, I know. 14. Yeah. Even with a bra, is that, whoa. <laughs> Bloody hell. But, yeah, the, the Las Vegas scene is honestly just in, incredible, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone can end a film like that ever again. It's <laughs> it's like all of Showgirls <laughs> squeezed into a few minutes, but with extra class. With extra class. <laughs> it is extra class. <laughs> Tress McNeil, who plays the newswoman, voiced Booberella, a parody of Elvira on The Simpsons. Nice. Because Elvira also made it onto The Simpsons. Booberella. I don't remember that episode. <laughs> She, the anchor woman is also based on a real anchor woman that Cassandra Peterson did not get along with during her days as at a local television station. And she, Cassandra Peterson wanted Tim Burton to direct the film, but by the time production was underway, he was busy making Beetlejuice. Imagine that would what have that been, could have been. That would have been good. Tim Burton directing it, that would have been really good. The Las Vegas scene was originally omitted from the shooting script because NBC executives thought it would be too expensive to build a set. So the movie was shot and edited without this and then screened for NBC executives to decide on whether or not to fund more money for the Vegas finish, which Cassandra Peterson really wanted. Ultimately, executives liked the film enough to fund the scene and the scene was shot a month later in a warehouse in the San Fernando Valley, but some parts of the song and dance were deleted from the final film. So it could have been even better. Bastards. The movie was produced by NBC, which set up a distribution deal with New World Pictures. Just as the film was slated to hit theatres, New World filed for bankruptcy. The marketing campaign was abruptly halted and the release was scaled back from thousands of theatres to just a few hundred. Critics were brutal and without promotion to entice potential viewers. The film bombed at the box office, though it later became a bestseller on video and one of the highest rated programmes of the year when NBC aired it in 1990. Honestly, what's the, what isn't to love about this film? Nothing. I mean, maybe the different audiences than ourselves. To non-gay, non-female audiences, maybe. 
I think, yeah, I think it's one of those that you either get it or you don't. And, yeah. But if you get it, then you're for a real treat. Here's uh, a fact you're going to love. In Spain, the Spanish dub was made by the very same cast of voice actors that did the Spanish dub of The Golden Girls. Nice. Alvira was given Blanche's Spanish voice. <laughs> that works. That, <laughs> that very much works. Patty was given Dorothy. Okay. A bit harsh. Chastity was given Rose. <laughs> okay, yeah. And Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Mika was given Sophia's voice. The rest of the characters are also dubbed by voice actors that do supporting characters on that show. Nice. Good work. <laughs> Two of my favourite things. I, I now want to see the Spanish one. I version. want to watch the Spanish one now. <laughs> yeah. the, the group of teenagers were not originally in the script. No, added at the insistence of the studio executives who wanted the film to appeal to a teen audience. As a result, many of the other characters had their roles significantly changed. And reduced. Yeah, I, I, I do find the teenagers. I'm not hundred percent sure what purpose they play. Mm. Um, I I also don't know why they thought shoving a bunch of teenagers in the film, although they're not part of any of the advertising, really meant anything. Because it was the age of teen horror. Like yeah, but yeah. I mean, the way these people think. At least they actually look like teenagers in this film. A lot of horror films from around this time that is certainly. Very true. <laughs> the teenagers are not, not too attractive either. No, no. So there's more focus on Bob, who isn't that great either. Really. I think Bob is for a certain audience, a uh, bold bodybuilder yeah. living audience. It was nominated for Worst Picture at the Hastings Bad Cinema Society's 11th Stinkers Movie Awards in 1988. Shocking. Yeah, shame. Shame on you, Hastings. Uh, during the scene in which Elvira is being burnt at the stake, the heat from the flames is so intense that it's mounted Cassandra Peterson's Black Elvira wig. Yeah, it's a wig. Yeah. <laughs> so would you like to go through... Uh, what happens in Mr. Siddhartha? I certainly will. Los Angeles TV horror hostess Alvira, Mistress of the Dark, quits her job after the station's new owner sexually harasses her. Um, <laughs> what he actually does is grab her breast and say, it's milking time. Uh, <laughs> she plans to open an act in Las Vegas, but needs $50,000 for the project. Upon learning she is a beneficiary of her deceased great-aunt Morgana, she travels to Fallwell, Massachusetts to claim the inheritance, which includes a mansion, a recipe book, and Morgana's pet poodle, Algonquin. Algon Algonquin. What does she call it in the film? Gunk. 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 <laughs> in Fallwell, Elvira's worldly attitude and revealing clothes set the conservative <laughs> town council against her. But theatre owner operator Bob Redding befriends her. The town's teenagers quickly accept her to the chagrin of their parents, who consider her a bad influence. Bowling alley owner Patty is interested in Bob, and at Alvira's late night horror film festival at Bob's Theatre, she succeeds in humiliating Alvira. How does she humiliate? So what happens is she puts on a showing of um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and she she does um, something that I would love to do, but um, I don't think it will ever happen. 
is do a running commentary of the film as it plays to the audience. Um, so she, as her finale after the film's over, she decides to do a flash dance. <laughs> like it's essentially a remake of flash dance. So she's in a thong, and I don't. I I'm assuming this isn't actually Alvira doing all these, but she does backflips. She does tumbles. <laughs> And then obviously the famous part of Flashdance is when she pulls the chain and um, water falls on her at the end of the song. Uh, What Alvira was going to do is with um, glitter, but in a very um, Chris Harginson move from Carrie, Patty changes the glitter to tar and then feathers her afterwards. So she's tarred and feathered. Uh, in front of everyone. <laughs> Which she is absolutely fuming about. She is absolutely fuming. Elvira struggles to sell the house so she can depart for Las Vegas. Meanwhile, she is unaware that her harsh but seemingly harmless uncle Vincent is actually a warlock who is, obs- who is obsessed with obtaining Morgana's spell book, which is the recipe book. He offers Elvira $50 for the book. When he visits Morgana's house to buy it from Alvira, Gunk hides it, much to Vincent's dismay. He plans to kill Alvira and conquer the world and has been fueling the townspeople's hostility. Alvira tries to impress Bob with a home-cooked dinner, but mistakenly uses the, the spell book as a cookbook and summons a creature that attacks them. <laughs> That's quite a good special effect, though. It really well. is. It does look good. Um, so it's like this monster that's like green, um, and gooey, but it's got like cornflakes on top of it and everything. Um, Alvira learns that the book was her mother Divana's spell book and that Morgana hid her as an infant to protect her from Vincent. When Elvira tries to unleash the creature against the morality club at their picnic for revenge, she prepares the brew incorrectly and it instead has an aphrodisiac effect. The adults begin behaving sexually, dancing and removing their clothes, while Elvira observes nearby. Uh, My favourite quote from this is... uh, Is this face taken? Excuse me, is this face taken? (laughs) As one of the women sits... Chastity sits on the chastity, isn't it? Uh, And also, um, Patty and some random guy that's on the on the council. She, he's holding a sausage and looks her in the eye and says, "Does this remind you of anything?" (laughs) To which she holds up a taco and says, "Does this remind you of anything?" And like grabs the sausage with the taco and starts eating it. Uh, um, yeah um, Avira is accosted by Vincent who again offers to buy the book for a much higher price which is this time is refused by, by Elvira when Patty confronts Elvira the resulting fist fight ends up humiliating Patty <laughs> by revealing that her bra is stuffed <laughs> so for most this battle of Patty versus Elvira is battle of the breasts yeah um, so Patty um she's um they stand to attention don't they mm-hmm. for the uh, for the for the film um there's a lot of uh them getting in each other's face but obviously their large breasts get in the way of from fully making contact facially um but it is revealed that 
Patty does pad her bra and she's not as well equipped as Elvira. <laughs> so Elvira wins that one. Uh, Vincent leads the townspeople in arresting Elvira for witchcraft, which is still illegal in the state of Massachusetts. They decide to burn her at the stake. The teenagers try to free her from jail, but fail, and accidentally lock themselves into a different cell. Bob tries to recover the spell book from the mansion, but is tied up by Vincent, who takes the book. Gunk transforms into a rat and frees Bob by gnawing through his bonds. Elvira is tied to a stake and the fire is lit, but she uses Morgana's ring to summon a rainstorm which quenches the flames. She then escapes with Bob. At the mansion, Elvira and Vincent engage in a magical battle that sets fire to the house. Elvira banishes Vincent to the underworld, while the house and all of the magical artefacts are destroyed. The next day, Elvira prepares to leave town. The townspeople apologise for their behaviour, and they ask Elvira to stay. She kisses Bob, but as she, as she is homeless, she insists that she must leave. As his sole living relative, Elvira has inherited Vincent's estate, which allows her to open her show in Las Vegas, where she performs a lavishly produced musical number to finish the film. <laughs> so some of my favourite things about this film, um, I mean, the dialogue, for one. When, when she arrives in this town and uh, she's approached by Chastity, who says, well, I never, and she replies, and you never will with those big suit cans on your head. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's got rollers in her hair. Um... It, it, the dialogue is just flawless throughout. It's so funny, so quick, so like you said, so so fast, so much fast wit throughout. It's so camp. Um, I mean, these are reads. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, these are what we would call now reads. Yeah, you know, which has come from the sort of um, drag community. Um, but that's what these are. You know, quick, witty one-liners. Um, hilarious, but also, you know, kind of rude. <laughs> yeah. Like, was, would you say How's Your Head Never Had Any Complaints came from this? I think so. I think we've heard it so many times. Yeah. But I do think it, it comes from Elvira. It, it, potentially not, but um, no one says it better than her. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, it, it's just so, so much of what happens is so stupid, but also... It it feels like it's um, parodying a lot of horror tropes. I mean, like, early on when the pervy hitchhiker gets into a car and she immediately kicks him out without his top on. <laughs> throws um, an axe at him. You know, it's just things like that. It, it's, um, yeah, the, the style of comedy is just perfect. I mean, one of my favourite scenes, and I think the funniest scene in the entire film, uh, is when she's helping Bob put up his matinee sign and uh, she thinks he's misspelled it. So she grabs the E from Matinee, but as she's, uh, she's fallen down the ladder, Chastity looks over and it looks like she's spelling how to fuck on the sign. Yeah, yeah. Matinee, wild adventure, how to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just things like that that really make it stand out amongst 80s horror comedies. Yeah, and I, I think that... I think that it is pure comedy. Yeah. There are horror elements, but it, it's more a... Um, more of a, a nod to mm. horror films than actual horror film itself. Um, I think that it's a, a really great um, fish out of water f film. Yeah. Um, you know, Elvira's in this very conservative um, town. 
and you know they judge her for the way that she looks but she ends up saving them mm. essentially from this vincent in the end um I, I know it wasn't the original idea but i do actually think the teens add a little bit to it now i don't know if this is through design but what i got is elvira and i think elvira is pretty much a not a gay character she's of course not a gay character uh, but she represents a community mm. and it's the older people that are against her. Yeah. Whereas the teenagers take her side from the get go. And I think that's a, an interesting analogy for the changes in, um, you know, opinions on LGBT people. Yeah. Whereas the young people and, you, you know, and even now, 32 years later... It's still the young people that are pushing forward these yeah. ideas and these, um, these equality ideas. Yeah, definitely, and it's got a really random cast as well. I mean, we get the uh, we get the warrior, wizard warrior. Should wizard I say wizard warrior? Is it is it a wizard warrior from Dream Warriors? No, he's um, the wizard master. That's wizard it. master. The wizard master from Dream Warriors uh, is in this Nightmare on Elm Street three. We even get Kaniki from Greece in this. We do. Asking Elvira for a blowjob. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In quite a small role. What I also love about this film is there are so many... um, So many times that she saves herself through... um, her womanly figure. Uh, one, One good scene is that she's trapped in a graveyard... And the 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 gate has been locked with a chain, uh, so she pushes her breasts in between, and then her breasts grow, and it snaps the chain, and I just think what a wonderful, a wonderful comedic image, but also, and maybe I'm going a little too deep, but to see a woman using her her figure and her body that she completely owns. Yeah. You know, Alvira is a character. She has a very plunging neckline. Her, you know, incredible breasts are on show, you know, through her choice. That's her choice. And it's these, her womanly figure that ultimately saves her. Yeah. I just think that's a really interesting analogy for, you know, um, women's rights. Yeah, you know, but it's it, it really is an amazing film and can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's out on Arrow Video if anyone wants to buy it. Um, it's probably it's, it'll be on that new streaming service. I know that for certain. Um, yeah, that's probably the only place you get it. Um, it might be on YouTube in full because I know the next film is. Uh, but yeah, I, I recommend buying it anyway. Yeah, yeah, please buy it. She, if, you, if you enjoy anything that yeah. we talk about, then you'll love it. Yeah, Alvira's still alive, and she she gets money for it. So yeah, <laughs> please buy it. <laughs> Next up is Alvira's Haunted Hills, made in two thousand and one. Well, released in two thousand and one. Directed by Sam Irvin, who is the director of such masterpieces as Guilty as Charged, Secret Lives, Oblivion, Magic Island, Kiss of a Stranger, Fat Rose and Squeaky, Aliens Gone Wild. And a few Hallmark Christmas films. What a CV. It was made on the miniature budget of $1.5 million. 
and it was direct to video. Yeah, it 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 does give direct to video vibes. Yeah, it's I'm gonna lie to it's you. a drop in quality, and if this wasn't an Elvira film and if Elvira wasn't there being herself, then this wouldn't have been so great. But she makes it. She yeah. Um, it it's it's not as good as Mistress of the Dark. No, but it's watchable and it's funny. Because Alvira's in it, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Cassandra Peterson was having difficulty finding someone to direct the film until Sam Irvin walked in the door. After telling him that she that the film would spoof 1960s Edgar Allan Poe films, Irvin launched into Vincent Price's monologue from The Pit and the Pendulum, and Peterson immediately knew she'd found her man. Yeah, because this is a, a direct like Edgar Allan Poe, Hammer... Um, you know, all of those gothic horrors from the 60s and the 50s. This is very much a straight-up parody yeah, of those. Yeah, absolutely. After discovering no one would finance a second Elvira movie, writer and star Cassandra Peterson decided to make it herself, ultimately sinking a million dollars of her own money into the film. Yeah, so essentially, because Mistress of the Dark hadn't done so well... Even though it did really, so uh, even though it done well on video, and this was director video anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but she struggled to get backing for it because um, Mistress of the Dark was considered a bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the role of Adrian, my second favorite character in the film, uh, other than Alfira, uh, the stable stud was written oh to be God. portrayed by Fabio, who wanted more money than producers could afford, so they hired Romanian Gabby. Andronak, I'm going to say, for his looks, uh, but he couldn't speak a word of English. It was quickly decided to dub it in English voice as a parody of the badly dubbed films that Cassandra Peterson had grown up watching, though she wasn't sure that the gag would work until her friend Rob Paulson started recording his ad-libbed voiceovers many months later. And honestly, I'm so glad they did. This is one of the funniest things in the the film. It's probably the funniest joke of the film. I have posted it on both our Instagram and YouTube if you want to watch, but it is so... When you've watched as many films as we have with bad dubs in it, the joke just lands immediately. It does. And and whoever whoever did... What was her her friend's name? Rob. The voiceover guy. Yeah, voiceover guy. Um, if I can get back up on my laptop, I'll do it. I think, I think whatever. Rob Paulson. Yeah, Rob Paulson. He was, uh, I believe, a member of the Groundlings mm. with her. Um, so he does it really well. It, it is really, yeah. it's really good. Uh, as, as when she breaks the fourth wall as well and, you know, mentions it. it it's just so funny. There's a, there's a lot of fourth wall breaking in this one and it works. Because she's obviously in a different time and it's still modern Elvira, it, it works. Uh, Richard Chamberlain backed out two weeks before shooting and was replaced by Richard O'Brien. Obviously, most well known for Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, and Crystal Spice World. Not Spice World. Crystal <laughs> Maze in the UK. The most expensive special effect in the film is a CGI that was briefly used to extend Alvira's arms. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> not expensive enough. <laughs> Cassandra Peterson asks for a stuffed toy for a gag in the movie in which she backs over a black cat's tail, but the Romanian crew returned with a brown kangaroo. The toy was dyed black and used, and, had, and an insert of a real cat was later shot in California. <laughs> Scott Atkinson initially attempted to mimic Vincent Price's voice, but uh, felt his impression was terrible. After a chance viewing of All About Eve, he decided to pattern Dr. Bradley's voice after George Sanders. 
Oh, yes. He is giving George Sanders credit to him. Um, it, it definitely George Sanders. What I'd... Um, and we'll go through it, but I, d- I described it as uh, Sir John Gilgood. <laughs> but it's absolutely George Sanders, yeah. And the castle is the same castle that was used in High Spirits. High Spirits? It. It's a horror comedy. Oh, yeah. The the one with the um, the poster with the curly-haired blonde woman. I believe so. Yeah. So, in Alvira's Haunted Hills, Alvira and Zuzu, her assistant, should we say? Yeah. <laughs> are on the run and are offered a lift by Dr. Bradley Bradley, a psychiatrist who has a horse and a carriage. They arrive at Castle Halcibus and Lady Halcibus is horrified to see Alvira looks pretty. Alvira is introduced to Lord Halcibus, played by Richard O'Brien, as one of Gay Paris' uh, finest entertainers. Um, but Alvira informs him that the straight guys like her too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's had enough already and just storms off. Dr. Bradley Bradley warns Alvira that the castle causes people to do strange and unusual things before providing her with a dark history of the castle. Alvira is staying in Alora's room, uh, who has her own portrait that looks exactly like Alvira, and she died ten years ago. In both of these films, there's always a portrait of Cassandra Peterson <laughs> that, she, that she claims looks like her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alvira finds the ring from Allura's portrait and decides to keep it on because it looks nice on her. Roxana introduces herself to Alvira and reveals she also has the curse that Allura had and Alvira agrees to let her escape with her by going to Paris. Uh, Alvira goes to investigate a strange noise and finds purposely badly dubbed Adrian cleaning his gun, um, pretending he's wanking with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he tells her the castle is a dangerous place for her to be. Lord Alcius provides Alvira with a story of what happened to Allura when she killed herself before he starts thinking Alvira is Allura and tries strangling her. He gets kneed in the balls and claims he he blacked out so goes back to the castle. So Allura is Lord Alcius's dead wife. Yeah, yeah, dead wife. Dr. Bradley hypnotises Alvira over dinner and she gets possessed and start com- starts talking about coming to get her vengeance. That's why. <laughs> We do that from hypnotism. <laughs> Alvira launches into an amazing musical number about her life that no, absolutely no one is amused by. No, it's not quite Las Vegas, is it? <laughs> it is still great, though, and it does end with her showing the back of her knickers that says applause. It does. Followed by no one clapping. <laughs> yeah, well, I clapped. Lord Alcibus comes face-to-face with Allura's ghost, so they dig up her coffin to make sure she's dead, but she's actually missing. Roxana drops dead after seeing the empty coffin. Uh, a fly lands on her nose, but she flicks it off her nose. And Lord Halcibus notices this and closes the coffin immediately, letting us know that there's something up with him. If we didn't guess already. I know, yeah. From Richard <laughs> O'Brien hamming it up. <laughs> Alvira gets it on with Adrian and has a dream of a guy getting decapitated before getting on with Allura, and then Allura is buried alive behind a wall. She go, Alvira goes to investigate this in the castle where Zuzu has now been tied up in a cage and Alvira finds the wall and Allura's skeleton behind it and it's revealed that Lord Halcibus killed her and admits it as well as admitting trying to bury Roxana alive. It's revealed that Lady Halcibus and Dr. Bradley, who now has a Cockney accent, uh, are having an affair. <laughs> I put Dr. Bradley Bradley from Sir John Gilgood to Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lady Alcibus and Dr. Bradley Bradley tie Alvira to a torture rack when Lord Halcibus knocks out Dr. Bradley and locks Lady Halcibus in some sort of torture box before letting Alvira out of her restraints. Yeah, so this is the pit in the pendulum. Yeah. So uh, the iconic image from uh, the film version, and, and it would have been in the Edgar Allan Poe story as well, is this giant, like, axe... It's like an axe shape, isn't it? For more modern horror fans, think the beginning of Saw 5. Okay. Do you know the exact same I can't remember. thing that happens in that? Oh, go. is it? Yeah. Oh, the thing okay. slowly lowers down, goes through. Whilst it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically that. Um, but if you've seen Pin the Pendulum, then that's wow. a much better so, reference. I was going to say, <laughs> come on. Saw five, you know, but we've been a bit classier here. Um, I'm just giving easy references for our listeners, just in case. <laughs> you underestimate our listeners. Well, please let me know. Please, please, please tell me yeah. off if I've underestimated you. <laughs> if you know the pit and the pendulum instead of saw five. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so she's tied to the torture device from the pit and pendulum, and uh, the pendulum br- blade just cuts her restraints open. <laughs> <laughs> she's briefly possessed again and fights Lord Halcipus onto the table where he's cut in half by the pendulum again Elvira is saved by her breasts <laughs> yeah, yeah Elvira and Adrian rescue Zuzu and they escape Adrian goes back to save Lady Halcipus because he's her half brother <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really get that. <laughs> the castle splits in half and falls into the ground when Alora pops up to thank Alvira for setting her free. And Alvira can't believe that they afforded the special effects. Yeah. <laughs> Alvira and Zuzu... I can't either. Alvira and Zuzu get a ride on another horse and carriage where the guy inside reveals that Castle Alcibus was destroyed a hundred years ago. And we find out the guy in charge of the horse and carriage or driving... A horse and carriage? Do you drive a horse and carriage or ride? Oh. Oh, I don't know. The guy making the horse and carriage move is Lord Halcibus. <laughs> and that is the end of the film. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah, it it's was, just not on the same level as Mistress of the Dark. It was. Um, I do feel like some of the jokes were quite repetitive. Like the Richard O'Brien get a need in the balls joke yeah. happens three or four times. Um, my biggest issue with the film and is the ending where her big thing was going to you know, um, perform in Paris. Yeah. Mistress of the Dark, the big thing, the iconic scene was her performing in Las Vegas. Yeah. So where was her performing in Paris? It really yeah. annoyed yeah. me because I thought that was going to be the end of the film. I thought, it, you know, it's taken a, a fairly similar premise to Mistress of the Dark mm-hmm. um, and then moving it back in time. Um which I would I would have really enjoyed if it was more like that. Um, my my issue is just she didn't perform in Paris. I really wanted to see her do a can can dance. That, that's... Yeah, yeah. Which no, she I, did. I agree. She did. She did the performance for the, the 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 weirdos in the castle. Yeah. But I wish she would have done it on the Paris stage at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it had really great set designs and, you know, costume designs with the feel that it's going forward to gothic horror and such. I thought, you know, Alvira's dialogue was great. It it was just, it was definitely a lot of what was surrounding Alvira. That was the issue. I mean, like I said, Adrian was really funny. 
Um, Richard O'Brien was Richard O'Brien, basically. Mm. You know, he just, he hammed it up. He hammed it up. And, and it was necessary. It, it's, it was a hammy role. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other roles are good as well. I mean, you know, they actually played Roxana. I thought, you know, she was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it could have been better. It definitely could have been better. And it is available on Prime if anyone wants to watch it. it very much like you said about Mistress of the Dark, the horror elements are pushed to the side yeah. in terms of it being a proper comedy. Um, I think she also, maybe Cassandra Peterson wanted this to be a lot more made for a younger audience as well. Um, considering the whole joke about when she's in the bath and she tells the cameraman to turn away so they keep the low rating. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it's very um, slapstick heavy, yeah. Um, whereas the uh, uh, Mistress of the Dark relied a lot on um, talking. Talking. What's the word for talking? Dialogue. Dialogue. Dialogue uh, based humor. Um, this was very much slapstick. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I do think it was maybe for a younger audience. Which is great. I mean, it's a good gateway um, for younger audiences. Yeah, I, th- I think th- the parody parts I found funny, particularly that dub. Yeah. It was hilarious. Uh, but if it was too heavy on those parodies, you're alienating an audience who aren't going to have watched those films and aren't going to understand. No. Um, but it, it's an enjoyable film. If you like Alvira, absolutely watch it. She's... Like the majority of everything, well, pretty much everything she does, she's the best thing about yeah. it, yeah. you know? And if you love Alvira like we love Alvira, then, yeah, absolutely watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, if you listen to this episode and you've never heard of Alvira, then absolutely go out there, uh, do your research, watch her movie Macabre. I believe a lot of that's available on Prime. Um, I remember we yeah. tried watching, well... Uh, it was your first time watching Puppet Master, so we ended up watching the other version. But she's got her own version of Puppet Master on there, uh, where she pops up throughout the film and makes comments and stuff. Yeah. Um, which I believe is the format of all of the movie macabre um, films. Uh, you know, go on YouTube, uh, a Halloween special, uh, Christmas specials on there. If you find the games, please let us know where you find them, because we would love to uh, play those. I would love to. I think I think we're going like way back now. It's like Amiga territory. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'd love to see another film um, with Alvira. Yeah, I would love to. Her. I would love to. I, I think she's just... She's one of those women who... <laughs> who has it all, mm. you know? She's... Smart, she's sexy, she's hilariously funny, um, she is a, has a great business brain, yeah. she's a brand, she has a say in everything that she does, you know, she's a producer on these films, she writes these films, she stars in them, you know, Elvira is Cassandra Peterson, and... she's kept it separate so there is the Cassandra Peterson and Elvira is you you know the drag (laughs) the drag queen essentially Um, but she's made it into a brand yeah 
and one that I really enjoy. You know, I would love to have Elvira salt and pepper shakers on yeah. my dining room table. And I'm glad she's still relevant, you know, today. I'm glad she's probably more relevant than ever today. I mean, wasn't it only like an episode or two ago on one of the Drag Race seasons we're currently watching, I can't remember which one it was, where someone did an Elvira look on the runway, didn't they? Yeah, Elvira inspired. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, she, she's a gay icon because she is one of those women, and very. I keep comparing her to other women, I, I do apologise for that, but it's just easier. Um, she's very much like Cher, yeah. who, who has stood the test of time. You know, she's, what, it's 32 years since, well, 40 years since she started movie macabre. Yeah. You know, and she's still going strong now. Um, gays love women who stand the test yeah. of time. Yeah. We love it. We love a strong woman. We love a woman who is in complete control. Um, she is very sexy. She likes to show her body. But that's because she wants to. Yeah. You know, she's never been a victim of it of a system as far as no. i know because she's always been in control of it and it, it very much it does show within the two films especially considering both of those films have a scene of someone trying on with her and her telling them no yeah she's in control exactly and then going out there and getting the man that she wants yeah absolutely you know and it's it's those sort of scenes that look out of place in the film in the 80s because normally that happened with no repercussion yeah Nowadays, you know, you'd expect to see something like that. So, yeah. Um, and I also like the fact that she's never tried to reinvent herself. No. You know, she's always in that same outfit, yeah. that same big hair, because it works. You yeah. know, she doesn't have to change it up or anything. She's, she's not Madonna. You know, she, she makes it work. And it's, you know, a good... Funny character stands the test of time. It's hilarious. It's hilarious back then, and it's hilarious now. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just, I just think she's great. I, I really do. Yeah. Yeah, we love Alvira, and and going on a uh, segue, um, to you know why we chose to do this episode, obviously for Women in Horror Month, and, uh, basically summarizing Women in Horror Month means it's our second and final episode for this year, um, you know. Within the horror industry, there's not many women filmmakers out there. I mean, obviously, Elvira is a character, uh, but going away from that for a second, uh, we've spent a lot of this month watching uh, female filmmakers, haven't we? Mm -hmm. And uh, whatever better time to mention this than, obviously, on the second final episode of Women in Horror Month. Um, but go out there, do your research. Even if you're watching films with strong female leads like Elvira, support women in horror all year round, not just one month. Because I believe it's actually stopping next year uh, because it obviously crosses over with Black History Month in America. Um, I mean, we'll continue to do, you know, show appreciation for, appreciation for Women in Horror Month. Uh, whether we stick with February or a different month, I don't know. But my point is just go out there, support Women in Horror. And, yeah, do you have anything to say on the matter? Yeah, support uh, female horror filmmakers. Yeah. And I think Alvira is absolutely a prize example of oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like I said before, she was a producer on both of these films. She wrote these films. And it, it shows because, if, let's be honest, if she was just an actress in these films, then they that bath scene 
the camera wouldn't have cut away. Exactly. You know? Yeah. She's very... The, both films are directed by men, but she is very much in control. Absolutely. She shows you as much as she wants to show you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we were talking about Blood Diner last week, mm. you know, there's a lot of female nudity in there, but it's a female director. It comes mm. from a different angle. Yeah. So you can have these super entertaining horror films made by women. It didn't automatically mean that you're not going to get the, the TNA that you want. It doesn't mean you're not going to get the gore. It doesn't mean you're not going to get the laughs. Women can make horror films just as good as the men do. Yeah, and and the prime example is... Um, of, I mean, obviously, this isn't us saying you know, all male filmmakers are shit. Obviously, fucking, obviously not. Look, I mean, look at some of our favourite films. Um, but if you compare certain types of films to certain films that are directed by male directors my best example would be something we watched the other day look at the nightingale which is a rape revenge film if you take that and compare it to i spit on your grave there's a fucking big difference absolutely like in i spit on your grave they um they they show the big sexual assault scene in so much detail. The remake almost fucking stylizes it, and it's it's ridiculous. Um, the Nightingale, it's disturbing. It's difficult to watch, but they don't exploit those scenes. No, because it, it's directed by a woman. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's coming at it from a different angle. And yeah, it's even more effective. It's even more effective. You know, it's. When, female filmmakers have a, have a way of doing things within horror and it really is noticeable. You can really tell the difference. It, it, it's, I think ultimately it's about opportunities. And, you know, this isn't a new thing. Women aren't suddenly deciding, well, we want to direct horror films hey, as well. look at The Hitchhiker that we watched from 1953 or yeah. whatever year it was. And that, uh, The Meshes of the Afternoon. Yeah, Ida Lupino um, directed The Hitchhiker, which is a fantastic, yeah. very gripping film noir horror, you know. Um, but it's this isn't a new thing. This isn't suddenly women are turning around and saying, well, we want to direct horror, we want to yeah. be part of it. They always did. Yeah. They always did. There were pl- plenty of women horror directors in the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm. Who were dying for those opportunities yeah. to make those films, and they never got them. No, you know, someone like Jackie Kong had to fight tooth and nail, yeah, to be able to yeah. direct these films, and she did it just as good as the men, and even better. And if she continued to have those opportunities, you know, she she could have been the, a big horror film yeah, director. Absolutely. She really could have, because her films are fun they're campy they're silly yeah you know she she could have been part of the next trauma yeah you know if if those opportunities were there and i think and i i hope this is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow because women do have a unique voice mm. women do have something to say but also women can make really enjoyable horror films yes yeah. You know, I, d- I don't need to have a, a life lesson with every horror film I make. No. So I want to see women get opportunities to make whatever kind of film that they want. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to see this. But what you need to do is support them. Yeah. And to, to make sure that you're out there watching them and, you know, 
putting some money their way. Let's yeah. be fair. Put some money their way. I think I'll probably get a list together on Letterboxd um, of stuff that we've watched and everything. Just put it out there on our social media so you guys can check it out and watch what we watch. Because a lot of what we've watched has been through streaming services like uh, Prime and Netflix and such. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's easily accessible. Even if, you know, it, even if you go out and buy it on DVD and Blu-ray, it's all easily accessible. Yeah. But yes, so that was our Alvira episode, our 100th episode, and our second episode of Women in Horror Month this year. Uh, again, a massive thank you to everybody who's given us time of day. Um, I mean, our stats recently have just been insane. Like, I, I can't believe the places where people listen to us all over the world. It's, it's so weird. But great, good weird, good weird. Yeah, it is. It is. It's really weird to think people are listening to me chat absolute fucking bollocks for an hour hour and a half every week so thank you for listening to me chat crap yeah uh if you would like to talk to us about Elvira if you want to talk to us about your favorite uh female directed films anything at all we're on social media horror court trash over horror court trash on twitter um we you know we have had a few comments i've been lacking in the fan mail department recently i'll add it to our next episode uh, I'm Delight Gaz92 on Letterboxd. If you want to have a look at the list I'm going to create for Women in Horror Month, uh, Gazman205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm ChrisMarket823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow, and nothing else. We'll be back on Friday with our original versus remake episode for February, where we'll be discussing Carnival of Souls. And Wes Craven presents Carnival of Souls, <laughs> which is, is going to be a lot of fun. Which We've had look. some interesting poll results. We might not make it to 102. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we do, because for episode 102, a week today, we will be discussing Final Destination through the years. All five Final Destination films. Yes. In one episode. In one episode. We hope. We, we, I know. Unless you have to do an emergency second episode for it. But yes, we've we've already watched them. Um, absolute blast to sit through. Even, no, 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 4 wasn't a blast to sit through. Um, but most were a real blast to sit through, even when they weren't great. Um, yeah, so we're really excited to dissect them. Yes. A lot, lot to discuss. Yes. So we will see you on Friday. Bye.